You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. On today's show, we're going to talk about an extension signed by the St. Louis Cardinals and Paul DeYoung. We're going to ask why in the world Neil Walker is still not with the team. We're going to run some numbers past a really interesting idea uh, one of our friends at Fangraphs had about Billy Hamilton, and then we're going to talk about some new StatCast metrics. The upcoming Sabre Analytics Conference is next weekend. We'll be there. We'll have some cool new stuff to introduce. Uh, first, let's talk about Paul DeYoung. Were you surprised by the six-year, $26 million extension he got that was the largest ever for a player with less than one year of service time? Uh, a little bit, because I'll admit I didn't... Like Paul DeYoung kind of like emerged last year. And I was just like, oh, like the Cardinals always sort of have these guys who kind of show up and are surprisingly good for a short amount of time and then often just like disappear. Like I remember a couple years ago, like Jeremy Hazelbaker was like the best player in baseball for a month. And it was like then he just kind of disappeared. And, you know, there's there's been a, like from younger from uh, my younger days, like when Joe McEwing first came up, he was like the best player. The Cardinals have been doing this for a long time. So I just sort of like put him in a box like, oh, here's just like a random guy and he'll probably go away. And then he didn't really. The funny thing is he replaced one of those guys because Aledmus Diaz was one of those guys who came out of nowhere the previous year, uh, struggled and got hurt. And then Dion came up, I think, in May and basically took the job and had a pretty good year. Last year, he hit 285, 325, 532. That is uh, 22 points above league average. A three-win player, second in the National League Rookie of the Year voting. I mean, that was really good. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of people think he's going to take a little bit of a step back. You know, let's let's look at the Statcast metrics first. And Statcast is powered by Amazon Web Services. He did not. Uh, he overperformed a little bit, but I don't think this is the case of a bad player putting up completely unsustainable numbers. He had a 320 expected weighted on base, basically league average. 318 players had at least 250 plate appearances. That number was 152nd, so pretty much right in the middle. And like league average is 320, 330, it's, like yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's similar to let's say Ian Kinsler, uh, Chris Taylor, Jed Jerko, Carlos Gomez. These are pretty reasonable players now he outperformed that by 45 points and that is the 27th largest so that's a big gap but it's not like an insane gap it's not a zach cozart gap or a, a marwin gonzalez gap he had a hard hit rate of 37.8 percent that's above average which is about 33 percent his uh sprint speed 27.8 feet per second that's above league average and it's slightly above shortstop league average of 49 qualified shortstops that was 21st so i think he looks like a solid player even if you look at the defensive metrics basically average um and i don't I don't think if you look at the deal, they're paying him to be a superstar. And six years for $26 million is not a, a great deal of money. And there's two club options at the end. So it could total for eight years and $51.5 million. Obviously, they don't have to pick up those options in, in six years. And if they do, it's because he's play, he's playing really well. Yeah, no, it's, it makes sense. I mean, these deals almost always make sense from a, from a club perspective. Because, like, even if he's as bad as, like, bad can be, like, the Cardinals are never really – there's never going to become a point where they're like, oh, wow, we're screwed because of that DeYoung contract. It's not – you know, these kinds of deals never really put you in that in that kind of position. And the, and the Cardinals are probably kind of proof of that because they've signed a bunch of guys to deal deals like that, and none of them have really – and some of them have not worked out that well, but it's not like they're really – paying for it every single year they do one of these in 2013 they gave alan craig five years and 31 million dollars uh he was traded to boston as 
subsequently fell off the face of the earth. Matt Carpenter got six years uh, in 2014 for $15 million, and he's been a star, so he's well outperformed that. And this is really the kind of way these things work. All you really need is to hit on one of them. And the excess value you get pays for every single other one. In 2016, they gave Colton Wong five years, $25.5 million. It didn't look so great at first, but he played a little bit better last year. And then last year, they gave Stephen Piscotty six years for $33.5 million. Didn't have a good year. We knew he had some family issues. Now he's been traded to Oakland. So the Carpenter one out of those probably pays for everything else all by itself, I think. Yeah, I mean, and even the Craig one, like, it, it turned out to be, I mean, Alan Craig, I was looking him up earlier. What I mean, what a weird career. In 2014, sorry, let's go back. 2012, he got MVP votes. He finished. He hit 307, 354, 522, 19th in MVP in NL MVP. 2013 makes the All Star team, hitting 315, uh, 373, 457. Finishes 18th in MVP voting. Gets that deal and then traded halfway through the year uh, to Boston along with Joe Kelly. John Lackey was the big the big name coming back and. Basically, was out of the majors. Uh, I think he. I don't even think he hasn't played the majors since 2015. But he was actually paid 11 million dollars last year. Red Sox paid all of it. He's still trying to play. He is in San Diego's camp on a minor league deal. So the thing about DeYoung is his plate discipline is. Uh, this is what worries everybody. I think nobody really doubts that he has power. I think he proved that even in the minors, he had uh, quite a bit of home runs. Last year, he had 124 strikeouts and only 21 walks. Striking out in and of itself is not really a problem anymore, but a lot of the guys who do that, let's say like a Joey Gallo type, we either have elite power or really good play discipline and have a lot of walks. So that is a difference of 5.9 as many strikeouts as walks. If you look in the 21st century, there's only been nine players to do what he did last year, which was to have a season of 300 plate appearances, strike out at least five times as many as often as they walked, and had an OPS plus of 120, right? So that's a, a really strong season with those metrics. And it's a pretty weird list of guys, right? I mean, you have some power-hitting superstars. You have Alfonso Soriano in 2002, Juan Gonzalez in 2003. Uh, you have, like, Juan Uribe is on this list. Randall Grichik is on this list. Rocco Baldelli, Chris Johnson. I mean, Starling Marte, there's not really, like, one particular type of player. But a lot of these guys were not able to keep this up. You know, obviously, Soriano was always who he was. But Chris Johnson had, like, that one good year and was never really heard from again. You know, I, I think that's the risk here is his plate discipline is hard to maintain a strong season with. Yeah, the most the player I am most surprised to not see on this list is Jeff Rancor. I would have sworn Jeff Rancor would have been on a list like this. I don't know if he ever had a season good enough, right? And he probably never—I even his, I thought maybe his rookie year he would have had the— uh, that year where he came up, maybe he didn't get to 300 plate appearances, but uh, but it's it's a it's a weird mix of guys, and you're you trying if you're if you're thinking about Paul DeYoung, you're like, okay, what's your best case scenario here? You know, I guess it's Soriano's the only guy here who was a middle infield. I guess you're Juan Uribe. You're looking for middle infielders, like, but he's not he's not Alfonso Soriano, who was a superstar in his prime. Right. I just don't I just don't see that. I also don't know if Alfonso Soriano. W- that type of player would have thrived as well in this era with like deeper scouting reports sure. and you know more like ev- pitchers uh, using a lot more of like advanced metrics and data to make decisions because if you could come at all close to locating a breaking ball against Soriano, he was toast. I think the takeaway from this is that DeYoung is probably not as good as he looked like last year, but the deal is so reasonable for the club that it's hard It's hard for the Cardinals to not come out looking okay for this. And for DeYoung, this is life-changing money, so he's pretty much set for life. Yeah, and as a fourth-round pick who probably didn't get a, uh, uh, or I shouldn't say probably, didn't get a huge bonus out of the draft, you can certainly understand uh, why, why he would do it. Fun fact, he was drafted in the fourth round in 2015, exactly one pick ahead of Willie Calhoun. Uh, and those are the only two players from the fourth round that year who have yet to make the uh, 
yet to make the majors. That is a fun fact. <laughs> right, moving on from a player who, an infielder who received a contract to one who really, really ought to be. We're going to talk about Neil Walker, but very quickly. First, we want to tell you about the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball app. Spring training is rolling, which means it's time to think fantasy baseball. Yahoo is the best experience in the game, and you don't have to take our word for it because the Fantasy Sports Trade Association has rated Yahoo Fantasy Baseball number one five years in a row. If you want the stats and analysis to run your team like a big league GM or you want to draft, trade, and manage your team right from your phone, download the Yahoo Fantasy app today and create or join a league. It's so easy, it's ridiculous. Download the app or sign up at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball. It is the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. Matt, can you tell me the answer to this trivia question? Over the last eight seasons, I guess I've already given away the answer, but that's okay. Only six hitters have uh, had at least 12 home runs and an OPS plus of 105, so above average, every single year. Uh, here are here are the six batters. The first five, Giancarlo Stanton, Robinson Cano, Justin Upton, Edwin Encarnacion, Adrian Beltre, and... Neil and Walker. Neil Walker. How does Neil Walker belong on a list like that? I... I Neil Walker, here's the point. Neil Walker has not signed with anybody. And it really, you know, we know this has been a very unusual free agent season, but I just feel like Neil Walker is wildly underrated for, I don't know, reasons like maybe he doesn't have a high batting average. I know he's been hurt a little bit. He's a competent defender. He's above average when he bats pretty much every single year. I can't imagine he's looking for a long-term contract. I'm going to give you an extremely red hot take here. I would take him over Mike Moustakis. I don't think that that's. That. I don't even think it's close. I mean, I think in some in some uh, circles that would be considered a scorching hot take. But I, for the Statcast podcast and the audience of the Statcast podcast, I'm not sure that is such a hot take. And he has no qualifying offer, which Mustakas does. Uh, he uh, last year, right? His 362 on base percentage was better than Brian Dozier, better than Ryan Zimmerman, better than Cody Bellinger. He slugged 439. That's better than Todd Frazier, Longoria, Chris Davis, and he's just so consistent. Like every single year, he's. 10 to 15 points above average. You look at uh, his, his line last year, 265, 362, 439. That's pretty much the same thing he's projected for. It's pretty much the same thing he does every single year. Last year, there were 34 second basemen who came up to the plate 400 times. He was the eighth best hitter in terms of weighted runs created plus and the 15th best in terms of total value. Why is nobody going after Neil Walker? It's weird. Um, I really don't know. Um, it's I guess there's not a ton of upside there, but at this point in the offseason, like... This is this is pretty good cost certainty as far as I'm concerned. He can play. He can fill in a couple positions. He's a switch hitter, even though he's not as good from the right side as, as he is from the left side. His batting average and OBP are very close. It's really just power where he loses from from the uh, from the right side. So there's a lot of teams that can, when when that Diamondbacks trade happened when they um when they uh, traded away a Drury to the Yankees. My first thought was, oh, they're going to sign you a Walker now. This Obviously, that's what they're going to do. I can confirm that because you might remember on this show, uh, we kind of predicted that Steven Souza to the Diamondbacks would be a thing that should happen. And then like six hours later, it did actually happen. So Matt and I texted each other saying, wow, they actually went and traded Souza. And as I remember, your first reaction to that was they should be signing Neil Walker like right now. And I agree with you, right? I mean, if you look at the Diamondbacks middle infield situation between Owings, Kettle Marte, Nick Ahmed and Descalso. They have to fill shortstop and second base from those guys. That quartet has zero combined seasons of league average hitting with 300 plate appearances. Not one. That's like why is why is Discalso, who's 31 years old, a lefty hitter, can't really play shortstop, the roadblock to signing Neil Walker? Yeah, and also in an era when teams are really valuing valuing roster flexibility, and it's not like Neil Walker is a super utility man, but he's a switch hitter 
who can play multiple positions. Like that should have a lot of value in the modern game where you can, where teams are carrying eight relief pitchers. You would, you would think, right? I mean, Arizona, I think, as, as you pointed out first, is the obvious spot for me. But even back to Milwaukee, I mean, there is a reason that they traded for Neil Walker in the first place last year. And that was because Jonathan VR and Eric Sogard uh, were not performing. And they go in 2018 with the exact same guys. You know, it really seems to me like if I had to pick between Eric Sogard and Neil Walker, no disrespect to Eric Sogard, this is not even a competition. Like, I easily want Neil Walker. Yeah, and VR is one of those guys who, you know, I'm very interested to watch early in the year because he was uh, someone we noticed with sprint speed, uh, our stat cast metric for speed, that was a big drop-off from the year before. Last year, he was barely, you know, in 2016, I think he led the league in steals, and then last year, he was about league average at 27.6 feet per second. And so, you know, maybe he'll be healthier this year and come back to more of that 2016 number, but if he's not a speedster... He's not really that valuable of a, of a player. No, I, I think that's exactly it. And if you're a team like Milwaukee, you need all the help you can get. You know, I, I was also looking at some other teams. Tampa Bay, you know, I know you're really going to go into the season with Joey Wendell and Robertson and Brad Miller and Matt Duffy and CJ Crown. That's your infield. I feel like Neil Walker uh, could help there. Look at the Orioles. I know they've got infielders, right? I love Jonathan Scope, but you can't really count on Tim Beckham. You should give Tim Beckham a shot because he was so awesome when he first got there. He also hit a buck 80 in September, and he doesn't exactly have a track record. You know, you could have Walker playing third base and Beckham being a utility player, or Jonathan Scope has had some elbow issues. Maybe Walker ends up playing second base. The Orioles have to do something. Uh, this certainly counts as something. I, I don't understand why Neil Walker is not more popular, with the caveat that I don't actually have any idea what kind of contract he's looking for, which is certainly a consideration. Although there was a rumor the other day that someone was offering him a minor, he was like getting minor league deal. I, I'm of two minds on that. First of all, like, yeah, a team should be offer everybody should be offering him something and to see what he takes. I'm also not sure I actually like buy that being uh, true that report. Um, but you know, I really thought Neil Walker was going to go to the Yankees, and he he said that he was talking to the Yankees, and then they went and traded for Brandon Drury, and that kind of closed that door. Yeah, uh, earlier this offseason, um, uh, MLB.com's Andrew Simon did a piece trying to look at like the most consistent hitters in baseball, and sort of like looking at year after year, not necessarily like. You know, consistent often gets misused in sports circles. People use consistent as a synonym for consistently good. Um, uh, when it's often consistent, you know, consistent just means you know the same thing over and over again. Some people are consistent; they're just consistently bad. But you know, when athletes use it, they always say, "Oh, I want to be more consistent." What they mean is more consistently good at this. Anyway, Andrew was trying to look at the most consistently good hitters, and he he sort of did this like process of elimination, and he got it down to Corey Seager, basically like Corey Seager, not Corey Seager, Kyle Seager has basically been like OPS plus of like 110 or more like every year for the last six years. And that's part of what makes Kyle Seeger so good. And to me, I sort of put Walker in kind of that boat. He's not a superstar, but he's reliable. And to me, it's really weird the Brewers aren't in him also because he was great for the Brewers last yeah, he year. Had an, he had a non-base percentage like 420 for them, I think. Uh, 267, 409, 433 in 149 plate appearances down the stretch after he came over in a in a, in a August deal from the Mets. So like usually that sort of thing, like particularly now that you know he's not going to cost much to bring him back, it 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 really doesn't compute. Yeah, we've talked a lot about free agents. Like it's not stunning to me that Mustakas is still out there. It's not stunning to me that Arietta is if he's looking for, you know, five years. But Neil Walker is a useful, valuable player and um I just I feel like he's constantly underrated. Now, speaking of consistency, Billy Hamilton is consistent. He's consistent. There you go. Good segue. He's consistently fast and he consistently cannot hit. So there was a pretty fun article uh, by our friend Travis Sochik at Fangraphs the other day where he went to Billy Hamilton in spring training and he came up to him with a what's a kind of a crazy idea. 
what if he was a super sub, but not in like the Ben Zobris kind of super sub way? What if he was basically the designated pinch hitter? So whenever a pinch runner, pinch runner, excuse me, not <laughs> pinch hitter, absolutely not. Whenever a a red who's not Joey Votto or probably the starting pitcher or catcher reaches base early in the game, Billy Hamilton should come in and pinch run for him under the idea that this guarantees him one time on base each game because you know Joey Votto's on base percentage is like 290. There are a lot of games where he never ever. You mean Billy Hamilton? Base. You said ah, <laughs> yes, I, I always have Joey Votto on the brain. But the point is, Billy Hamilton is very elite on the bases, and there's so many games where he never even gets there. So this could be a way of making sure that at least once per game, you had Billy Hamilton on the bases, which I think is a really fascinating idea. And uh, it was pretty funny because Billy Hamilton replied to him, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, obviously, Which no, I respect the honesty there. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the ego is certainly going to come into play, uh, and Billy Hamilton is not going to really want to be hearing any of this. But uh, from a... From a thought exercise, it's really fascinating. And if you read the piece, which I recommend you do, um, a lot of Hamilton's teammates overheard the conversation the best. and started like jumping in, sort of chime in with their thoughts on the uh, on the uh, on the uh, proposal by Sawcheck. So, uh, Tom Tango, our, our colleague here at MLB.com, ran some numbers to see if this would actually make sense. And we're going to go through the numbers in a second. But first, I, I do want to bring in a term we never use on this show, which is the human element. If you're one of those guys who's going to get replaced. Doesn't it? It's kind of weird to think. Well, I better get on base, and then I'm going to get out of the game. If I get a hit, I'm out. And if I don't get a hit, I stay in the game. I think that's where you're going to run into some troubles. In addition to Billy Hamilton clearly not wanting any part of this. But I'll bring another part of the human element into this conversation, and I think this is one of those things that does get lost uh, a bit in analytics is when the human element of when Billy Hamilton is on base, because like that has a real impact. You can see pitchers behave differently. They you know they're thinking about the runner they're trying to you know maybe they're thinking of a slide step they're they're hesitant you know it's it it has an impact on the game that goes beyond just the pure numbers and of course Billy Hamilton doesn't get on base enough to really make use of this skill but i think that if you could find ways to get him on base more it would add something that really you know i hate to say it but like doesn't show up in the box score and it's part of like the game within a game that is really fascinating and that like curmudgeonly old baseball people will shake their fist at you about i think that's fair uh all that being said we do have the numbers this is what tom tango has come up with and so uh we're going to kind of recite a little bit from the blog post he wrote so hamilton has reached base a little bit over uh, 600 times in his career and if you look at fangraph's base running runs he's plus 46 so the way you can look at that is every single time hamilton gets on base he is worth plus 0.08 runs now what does that mean? For context, every single time Joey Votto comes to the plate, he is worth plus .08 runs. Now, that, are, these, are these both compared to average or compared to replacement level? Uh, they are. Ju- I, I think it's p- replacement level, but now I have to look, and I've completely thrown me off. I don't remember. Uh, either way, the point stands. It's, he's basically plus. He's as valuable. Billy Hamilton on base is as valuable as Joey Votto at the plate. Right. Basically, what he's looking at is his seasonal uh, value, and you divide it by how many times he's either at the plate or on the bases, depending on which one of these guys you're talking about. Now, because Hamilton's on-base percentage is pretty terrible, he can only use that plus .08 about 30% of the time. So he's actually minus .03 runs every single time he comes to the plate, because most of the time he's not going to get on base at all. And we know that he is a valuable defender. He adds plus .01 runs per inning. So here's the takeaway from this. By having someone else bat instead of Billy Hamilton, you gain plus .03 runs. You lose minus .01 runs by having someone else field, but you gain plus .08 runs by having him on base. I know this is a lot. Are you guys writing this down? If there's any podcast in the world that would put up with this, it's this podcast. The net result here is plus 10, right? Plus one runs. Plus point ten runs is what I'm trying to say, which is like adding Mike Trout for one time up. Like an extra Mike, Plout, Mike Trout played appearance every single game. That's valuable. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. 
there's obviously a cost here. The cost here is that you lose their guy he's replacing. You know, you have short benches in the first place. If some guy comes up, bats once, and he's out of the game, that hurts you. And maybe that's Jose Peraza or Scooter Gannett. And this actually matters who it is because if it's an infielder, now you need somebody else to also play the infield because Billy Hamilton is not going to go play second base. So if you estimate the bench replacement at minus 0.02 runs per plate appearance uh, a couple of times per game, maybe we're up to minus 0.07 or 8, uh, but then a four-seventh of the time because of the positions here, someone's got to come in and replace somebody else. So now the, the cost is minus 0.04 runs. I know this is a lot. Here's the final takeaway. Doing this will add to what we said before, the Mike Trout one more plate appearance per game, and it will cost about minus 0.04 runs per game. So the total is plus 0.06 runs per game, or approximately 10 runs per year, which is essentially one win, (laughs) which is, that's valuable. Of course, you completely ruined your bench for like all of these games. It's crazy, but like crazy in the right way. I mean, teams are sort of slowly going to this this thought process, you know, in terms of really trying weird things. You know, the Phillies are experimenting now with switching their left fielder and right fielder during within the inning. Of course, we haven't seen them do it during the regular season yet, but we'll see if it happens. And I'm excited for the new world of baseball where things like this happen all the time, where teams are, you know, the one I've been waiting for for years, like a lot of people, is relievers going to play the outfield for a batter and switching not just in a game extra innings but like in over the course of like the seventh inning or like you know the regular the regular course of action that's that sort of thing and I think that this is sort of along those lines where you if you had a a few really versatile players on your team you could make something like that work of course there's very few players who have Billy Hamilton's speed who are worth that much in the baseball and you need and you need the buy-in too like you need to have the other guy being okay with essentially being a first inning pinch hitter because that's what it would be Right, that's tough for a lot of guys. You basically need like one of those like um, I'm trying to think of like a good example of like a really good OBP guy who brings nothing else to the table, like your old like Scott Hatterberg, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you basically need like 2001 Scott Hatterberg and Billy Hamilton on your roster is essentially what you need. What we need is some team to like just go all into this. I want to see how it actually uh, would work out in practice. It would be fun to see, also because you know we haven't seen anyone steal 80 bases in a long time. Uh, I can't even remember who the last person to steal 80 bases is. That's become sort of the new bet. We've seen a couple guys get into the 70s the last few years, but no one's gotten to 80 since, like, I don't, I don't even know who it is. But it's been it's been a long time. Like, Jose Reyes got to, like, 77 one year, I think. But um, under this plan, we'd see someone steal 80 bases in a season. Because you'd have Hamilton on base. Exactly. So That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It'd be 100, what is, the estimate was, like, 100 more times per season, basically. So we would need a way to, uh, to fake his on-base percentage. So instead of being, like, 295, add some value there, and he's, like, the equivalent of a, a 300 or something like that. I think that'd be real interesting. Let's get to the really fun StatCast stuff. So this weekend on, on Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. local time, we are going to be presenting at the Sabre Analytics Conference. Well, we means... I was going to get there. Yeah, yeah we, we meaning me and Darren Willman and Tom Tango uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, we'll, have some, we'll have some friends there as well. And it's kind of one of our favorite things each year. Last year, this is where we first really put out uh, catch probability and hit probability. And we've been there the last couple of years uh, <laughs> praying that the weather allows us to leave this upcoming week. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of cool stuff. And uh, we're going to talk about a, a, a lot of this will be live to the public. Like, There's this really cool 3D pitch tracking tool that I think people will really get a kick out of. That will be live uh, right after the conference. We're going to put up some pop time leaderboards and we're going to update catch probability We've got some numbers on defensive positioning and shift data. We are going to talk about our upcoming StatCast ERA estimator, uh, infield defense everybody wants to talk about. We're going to talk about adding speed to expected weighted on base, how to measure sack fly decision making. There's a lot of stuff we're trying to cram into like 45 minutes here. 
So that's all going to be coming out uh, either at the end of this week or some of those things as the spring rolls on. But there's two things we really want to talk about today because these are ready to go and we're pretty excited about them. The first is pop time, right? So catcher defense, pop time, exchange, and arm strength for each of the last three years will be live on Baseball Savant for everyone to look at and play with. And it's it's pretty cool. Uh, as you would expect, there is a, a relationship between pop time and stolen base rates, although it's kind of noisy because there's so many other factors that are involved uh, that the pitcher controls. What we've discovered is that uh, an extra a tenth of a second of pop time changes the caught stealing rate by 10 percentage points. So that, that's not nothing. I mean, that, that matters. Uh, if you were to look at the pop time leaders last year, and for pretty much everything here, I'm talking about steal attempts at second base. Uh, Austin Hedges is number one. I think that's unsurprising. 1.89 seconds. That's his pop time. The average is 2.01. Uh, the worst guys are 2.14, which I think is uh, Miguel Montero and Tyler Flowers is down there. The guys at the top are unsurprising, right? Like Real Muto, Gary Sanchez, Martin Maldonado. Yeah. Miguel Montero, if you recall, was at the center of controversy last year when, which team was it? It stole like six bases on uh, Jake Arrieta in one game? Uh... I don't remember. And basically, it was this whole hullabaloo after the fact when I think Arietta called out his catcher. I don't even remember exactly yeah. what happened. I just remember that, like, and we're like Montero, you're not great at this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, we have that, and pop time is really in baseball history. It's been defined essentially as the pop of the the ball hitting the catcher's glove, and the pop of the ball getting to the infielder. That's not actually how we're defining it here because we tried that at first and it didn't really work out because what would happen is guys who are really poor at this, the infielder would just come off the bag and get the ball a little shorter. So it was artificially making the throw shorter and artificially making them better. So what we're doing for those throws that are cut off early is we're showing the projected distance to the center of the base, which accounts for that, which is really cool. And all pop time is, it's the combination of two things. It's exchange. How quickly did you get the ball out of your glove? And the throw time to second base. And for a lot of those guys, you know, Realmuto is pretty good at both of those things. Hedges is really good at both of those things. Not everybody is. Uh, it's it's pretty fun when you look at some of the comparisons. For example, Salvador Perez has last year tied for the fastest exchange time in baseball, 0.64 seconds. That's how fast he was getting the ball out of his glove, which is pretty cool. And he has uh, an above average pop time of 1.95 seconds where the average is just over two. But his arm is only average. I think that'll surprise people. He's got an average uh, on what we call our max effort throws of 82 and a half miles an hour. Now, Gary Sanchez also has a 1.95 second pop time. Exactly the same, but we know he has a cannon. His average arm strength is 87.8 miles an hour. That's the best in baseball. But his exchange is only average, where Perez is 6.64 seconds, Sanchez is 0.73. The point being, there's different ways to get to the same place, which I think is cool. These are two skills, and we'll finally be able to let people see this and play with it and go forth with it. Yeah, it's rad. Um, the other thing that we are going to be putting out, which I think will be very fun, is we're finally going to update wall ball, a catch probability, to include wall balls. So we put out catch probability last year, and I think that was a, a really useful tool, and it fuels our outs above average. But the one thing we knew, and we, we said straight away, was that it didn't really do great for wall balls. It didn't know where the wall was, uh, and so it didn't give guys credit for this artificial barrier that's in the way that would make them slow down. Yeah, the the um, the example I always give it's like it's like imagine a, a, a softball game in the park where there's no fences. Like the basically the uh, we weren't accounting for the fence, so it was almost as if the player could just run as fast as he could and not have to worry about ever running into anything. So like if the metric isn't accounting for that, well we're making things look a lot easier than they actually are. Right, and we we always knew that was an issue. So now we're accounting for that, and that's because the system knows where the walls are, and the balls that we are defining as wall balls, which are balls that are within eight feet of the wall, that would have impacted the wall no more than eight feet high, those are only going to be compared to other wall balls as opposed to comparing to the entire 
sample of catches. And there's there's not really a ton of these. Last year, there were nearly 33,000 catches in baseball, and about 81% of those did not have anything to do with the wall, nor did they have anything to do with the direction, because we give credit for going back as well. There were really only about 3% of plays uh, that were just at the wall, and then if you combine the ones that were going back and to the wall, we're talking about 5% of outfield plays. It's not a huge number, but it matters. Uh, and when we write an article about this, the visuals are going to be pretty great. It's like a highlight reel of awesome guys making rad catches. I'll give you one example. There's a great Byron Buxton play from last May where he robbed Carlos Santana. He needed to go 98 feet in 5.2 seconds. So the catch probability on that play was 52%. This is still pretty good. That's a 50-50 play. Uh, but he dove into the wall, and I think he was down for a minute. Now, with the credit for the wall, that's going to drop to 7%, which I think is really cool. That's going to be a lot more satisfying. There's about 335 plays that will change by 10 percentage points or more there's only about 60 plays that will change by 40 to 50 points some of these plays are going to change a lot but that is a fraction of the overall wall ball so outs above average will change for some guys because that's what fuels this byron buxton and christian yelich will each gain four outs above average so yelich will go from minus four to zero like buxton didn't any more help he'll go from plus 25 to 29 uh there's a couple of guys who will get plus three in outs above average. So Hamilton, Kane, Inciarte, Aaron Judge, which is cool, which I guess makes sense. Um, there are guys who are going to lose some points here. Like, unfortunately for Mark Trombo and Andrew McCutcheon and Sinchu Chu, uh, they're going to lose a little bit in outs above average. And that's partially because we're pulling these balls out of the sample. So the non-wall balls are no longer being con- compared to these either. So slight changes there. Uh, important to note, these are not live on the Baseball Savant yet leaderboard yet. They will be soon. And we'll make sure that you know when they are. But I'm pretty excited about this because this is. I think this is going to make things a lot easier this upcoming year. No question. Uh, and it will give credit where it is uh, is due on these uh, death-defying wall ball catches. On, on these, for sure. Uh, so that's a small fraction of what we're going to be talking about at Sabre this upcoming week. If you're there, please come by. And if not, you can be sure we'll be tweeting about it and writing about it. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to the MLB.com Satcast Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.